Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I was looking this up in a commentary. I, I don't know why I thought to look for a commentary on this. Uh, you know, you were like, what's the deeper meaning? Oh, it means train up a child in the way she goes. That's <laughs> what it means. But but I did get a nugget. I got something kind of interesting. The word train there actually uh, is is a word that means to dedicate something to God. In the in the Hebrew scriptures, it actually when they would dedicate a building, a wall, or a temple, or a house, or something, they would use the same word. And so the the commentary I was reading it says it's speaking here of training up your children as an act of dedication to the Lord. That's kind of inter- that's good, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I, that, I, I did find something in the commentary. See, it was worth it. So uh, train up your children as an act of dedication to God. Um, it's trending right now in our culture. It's very popular. You hear it everywhere you go that the younger generation is our future. You hear that, right? The younger generations are future, so we need to follow them. Well, the truth is we do need to empower them, and they are going to be the ones who are leading. The, I mean, our kids will be the next leaders of this church. That is true. But the, the truth of the matter is, biblically speaking, you are their future. Think about this. I want you to go with me for a minute, all right? We say the children are our future. Let's follow them. But the Bible says you are their future. You are their future. We need to take up that responsibility. We need not only to raise them right, you know, but we need to leave them a heritage of faith. We need to let them see how we live and pass on something to them that they will be able to carry into the future. Look at um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 with me. It says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. This is the Apostle Paul. He was probably closer to no other man on earth than Timothy, who was a lot younger than him. And he's talking about him. He's writing one of his most intimate letters right before he's he's going to be executed. And he says, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Look at that. It didn't begin with Timothy, did it? It was passed on from Lois to Eunice to Timothy, because what they did, they passed on a faith to generationally all the way to Timothy, where Paul could look at that and say, I'm sure it dwells in you. And see, I don't believe it's God's plan for every generation to fumble around in the dark until they're in their middle 20s or 30s and find their way and finally do something for God. I don't. I just don't. I believe that it's God's plan that we raise our children, we direct them, and we point them in the way, and they can run in it. And they don't have to fumble around in the darkness and in the world doing crazy things. I mean, I know some kids do. That's the experience of a lot of people. But I just don't think that that's what God's intention is. I think that we're supposed to have something to pass on to our children to help them, to give them a head start, to take take them to the next level. Don't you want your kids to go beyond you? I mean, we think about that in every other science and discipline, don't we? You know, those of you who are involved in different kinds of, of things, uh, work, you know, like you know, computer sciences or medicine, you know that the next generation is going to go way beyond where, where we are in those pursuits. Why shouldn't they go way beyond us in their pursuit of God? Why shouldn't they be doing things that we haven't even thought of yet in their relationship and their walk with the Lord? Come on, that's good. 
I like that. That's good. I'm getting blessed because, you know, I've got a newborn, so I'm, I'm, I'm inspired. <laughs> Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood. Listen, say from childhood. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. From childhood, his mother poured something into him at a very young age, and it affected his life and his ability to carry on the work and hang with the Apostle Paul. Come on, that's quite an accomplishment right there, is it not? And, you know, I think of great men in the Bible. Anybody know Samuel? Any of the kids in the back, you ever hear of Samuel? Samuel the prophet, quite possibly one of Israel's greatest prophets, right? Do you remember the prayer his mother prayed for him before he was even born? His mother's name was Hannah. You'll find his prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11. She made a vow. That means she made a promise to the Lord. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So he had dreadlocks. <laughs> but she said, I'll give him to the Lord. Who made that decision? Did she wait for Samuel to grow up and find his own way? <laughs> and eventually sometime, you know, after he went out and tried everything in the world, he came back to God and, and started living for God. No, she made a promise to God and her and God got together and decided the fate of, her, of Samuel's life before he was even born. Right? I know it's not everything we've always experienced, but come on, is this Bible? He did. It wasn't even up to Samuel at that point. <laughs> Hannah and God made an agreement, and God kept his in. Samuel just played his part, and he was maybe the greatest prophet that Israel ever had. He chose the first several kings of Israel until John the Baptist. He was quite possibly the greatest prophet. Jeremiah, you remember him, another prophet. You remember what God said about him? Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He had his life planned out by God before he was even formed in the womb. God had a plan for him since before he was born. I mentioned John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? His parents were old. They didn't have kids. They were praying. They were praying for a child. And uh, one day his father, Zechariah, who was a priest, was ministering before the Lord, and an angel shows up and scares him speechless. Literally, you should read the story. And the angel says, do not be afraid. <laughs> well, I guess if you see an angel of the Lord show up to you, that's probably the first thing he needs to say because you're probably shaking and trembling with fear. But he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call him John. And you will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth and he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink for he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Listen to the, the course that John had laid out for him. Don't you think that that influenced the way his parents raised him? A, a word like that spoken over you. See, it is right for you to seek direction for your children's future because God does have plans for them. And when you know what God is, how God is going to use them, you can help them plan their lives according, accordingly. You know, we all do the best that we can with our children, right? 
We do. Uh, uh, Rinkum and I talk all the time. And, you know, are we going to homeschool? Keep on homeschooling? How long are we going to homeschool? Should we send him up here to Berean, you know? Sorry, we missed Kaylee's grade, so I don't know about that. But, I mean, that made it that it made it great. But, you know, we, we consider these things, you know? Uh, do I want them to play sports, you know, music lessons, arts? What should we have them be involved in? Because you're doing the best that you can because you want to give your kids the best that you have. But, you know, I've come to the place with my children where um, I decided to just to take them at their word and uh, believe that they're going to serve God and do ministry for their lives. I, I just I, I don't want them to have to wander around for years and then finally find their, their own way. They both said, Benjamin says, I want to travel the world and tell people about God. So he, he told me that. Uh, Abigail says, I want to preach about God. And so, you know what? I, God can tweak us. God can change us. But right now, I'm just telling you, I'm going to take them at their word. And I'm going to help them prepare for that. I'm going to prepare them for that. God can speak to you when you're little. You don't have to be an adult to hear from God. I knew when I was six years old that I was called to preach. Six years old. And the most frustrating times in my life were when I wasn't fulfilling my call. When I was trying to do something else. And so, you can know when you're, when you're young. So, I tell my kids that they're special. That they've got a responsibility, that God's called them to do something. And I want to help them grow up to do that. When I was, uh, I must have been around 10 years old, riding the school bus to school. And I remember so clearly in my head, I'd get ready to go out and me and my sister would ride the bus together. And my mom would say, as we're running out the door, running down the gravel lane to where the school bus, we lived in a rural country. So we'd run down the long driveway and jump on the school bus. And she'd say, as we're going out the door, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Because she taught us that we were king's kids. She taught us that we were royalty. You know, people who are royalty, they grow up differently. And if you're following the news over there in England and all that, you know they're really different sometimes. But, <laughs> but you're, not, you're not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to be, you're, you have a responsibility because you're going to govern the people. You're going to have a, a, a job of leadership one day and you're raised a special way. And she would say that. And I'm telling you what, at 10 years old, I would sit on that school bus and I would just feel like I'm not supposed to be like everybody else. Do you know how that helps a young person not give in to peer pressure? When you just know that you're not supposed to be like everybody else. I don't worry about it if I'm not like everybody else. And I just knew I was made for something from God. And so I tell my kids, man, you're special. You're king's kid. You're royalty. I told my daughter the other day, you're a princess. And she says, no, I don't want to be a princess. I said, not a Disney princess. A real princess. What's a princess? I said, okay, you're a princess warrior, okay? (laughs) I had to explain <laughs> what a princess was. But, um, but I knew, I knew. Um, Rin Kim, are you here? Did she leave? Melissa, do you mind running and getting Rin Kim and tell her to come up here with, with my new daughter? Because what I want you guys to see, I want you to witness my first attempt at a baby dedication that I've ever done Yeah, in my life. You know, we're, we're, we're going to do what we can because what we speak over our children matters. Amen. It does. Um, when I was a baby, of course, I've heard the story because I don't remember what happened when I was a baby. 
But um, my parents were a part of a Presbyterian church. They were youth leaders, and they were very much involved in a Presbyterian church. But uh, they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a little storefront Pentecostal church, okay? So they were going to the Presbyterian church in the morning and the Pentecostal church at night, all right? I mean, so my grandma, which is my mom's mom, was also in involved in that. They'd go to the the Presbyterian church in the morning and the Pentecostal church at night. Well, my grandma was a little bit concerned because it came time where the Presbyterian church wanted to infant baptize me. They wanted to sprinkle the water and do whatever they do. And my dad, who was, you know, really seeking God at that time, he studied it out and prayed it out. And he just, he didn't see that, that infant baptism was biblical, that, you know, you, you should know what you're doing when you go and be baptized. Um, but my grandma, she was a little bit, come on up, Rin Kim. You can come up here. Um, come on, give Rankin a hand clap just for coming today. I know. It's an amazing thing she did. But uh, so my grandma's concerned because, you know, the pres I don't know exactly what the Presbyterians believe, but there's a fear that if you don't do the ceremony, your kid, if something happened, they're not going to make heaven, you know? Uh, I guess somehow that's supposed to preserve you until the age of accountability or, or whatever. I don't know what their doctrine is, but my grandma was concerned about that. And so she was not super comfortable with that. But my dad just realized that, you know, biblical, it's just not biblical to that practice. So uh, they decided not to. But one night in the Pentecostal church, Right around that time, um, I was there, and I was little, I guess, like this. And uh, I think it was a, 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 a the organ player. And uh, she was looking at me, a baby, and said, there's something special about him. Let's dedicate him to the Lord. And they did that. And it was, you know, as spontaneous as small storefront Pentecostal churches are. It wasn't planned. It wasn't programmed, but it was a spontaneous thing. And they called me up and they, they prayed over me. And you know what? I, I believe that they spoke words over me that directed my life and my calling, you know, and I wanted her in Kim to come up because I wanted her to share. Do you mind sharing? Putting you on the spot. I gave you a little warning, but uh, she had a really neat experience as well as a child. Uh, same story, similar story. Uh, my parents and my grandparents were from Presbyterian background, but I was dedicated in a, a Pentecostal church that my grandmother founded. And uh, the day that, this is the story that they told me, the day that they took me to the church to dedicate me, the pastor that dedicated me, and there was another lady in the church, they prophesied over me and they said, uh, don't call this child your own. She is mine, and she is going to preach from the other side of the world. And, uh, you know, the, back in the day, during, you know, around that time, nobody, not many people traveled in, across the ocean, you know. So, uh, so it was buried. Nobody told me <laughs> about that part, and they didn't uh, believe, or I don't know. They, they just didn't, never told me about it until the day I left my house to come to America to marry BJ, because they were so sad. Uh, my entire family, everybody was crying and mourning. They were so sad. They couldn't understand why I had to leave you know, my home, my country, to travel to the other side of the world. And then the Holy Spirit brought back to memory, stirred that back uh, in my grandmother's 
mind and said, do you remember that day, you know, when you guys brought this child to church and you dedicated this child? And I said, she's not yours. She's mine and she's going to preach from the other side of the world. And my grandmother remembered that and reminded all my family members, my mom, my dad, my uncle, my gr- everybody. And everybody felt, found so much peace in knowing that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and, and if they wouldn't have remembered that, they maybe wouldn't have let her go. They might have kid, they might have kidnapped her and locked her up or something. Who knows? But but God spoke a word. I mean, years before it happened, when she was just just a child, He's directing directing her life. You know, a, a child dedication. You know, in a sense, it's ceremonial, and in a sense, it's, it can be prophetic. You know, um, it's also a charge. It's a charge to the parents. Right? To raise the child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The good King James English, right? Do you, I charge you to raise this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. See, I wanted, I really just wanted to get down to verse 4, but I'm going to start with verse 1 because I know there's children in the room. So children, <clears throat> open your ears. All right, listen, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. You know, God has a way to organize family. He has a plan for families, doesn't he? A lot of us just don't want to do it, but he has a structure and a plan for families. And um, it says, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. (laughs) Sorry, children, (laughs) for those times. (laughs) Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So what I want to do today is... um, um, I, I was thinking, you know, family Sundays, Rin Kim's first Sunday back with our new baby. I just want to dedicate her. But I realized I've not dedicated my other kids in, in this fashion yet either. So I want Benjamin and Abigail to come up. And I want anybody here who has kids, because I know a bunch of kids are here. If you would like to get in on this as well and just let us pray for your children and dedicate a true Pentecostal fashion with no real planning or anything, no no certificates or anything. If you would like prayer and just to dedicate your children to the Lord, just feel free to join us. But come on over here, guys. Come up here and stand in front. And if I could do... Um, if I could also get some of the leaders of the church too, Rick, if you don't mind, and, and David and Tom and and uh, uh, whoever I forgot, um, come on up. You know, and beyond that, I want to say this. You know, the, the next generation, um, you all have something to pour. My kids respect all of you. My kids talk about all of you. They adore all of you. <laughs> and you have an influence in their life especially the teachers, you know, and if you, if your kids are grown or, or whatever, you, you have opportunity here, right here in this church to influence the next generation. And if you don't, I'm telling you, there's a bunch of liberal professors and teachers who want to raise your child in the way that they think they should go. There's a bunch of Hollywood actors and there's musicians who want to raise your kids in the way that they think they should go. There's politicians who are making decisions about how we raise kids in this country right now. But I'm telling you, the responsibility has been given to you. And we're going to shoulder that responsibility. Amen? We're going to take it. So, 
if I could just do this, I just, I just want to pray. I mean, Rinkum and I, I, I've probably just total, I just put, put you all on the spot, but, but uh, I probably should have had Rick do a real ceremony or something. But no, Rinkum and I, we just make a commitment to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're going to raise them up and we're going to raise them up in the way that, that they should go. And as God gives us clarity and direction in, in the things that he's called them to do, we're going to support that and agree with it and prepare them for it. Amen. And so if you guys, whatever you feel, just give us a prayer and that'll be good. We thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. Lord, Father, for this family. God, we just... It's, it's a charge that you give us as a mom and a dad, God, not to just bear a child and, and then let them just grow up the way they grow up. But God, we guide and direct and we pray, God, an anointing and a blessing on, upon uh, B.J. and Rincom, Father, as they not only bring up Elizabeth, but God, as they are bringing up Abigail and Benjamin as well. And Father, that each child has their own personality and own needs and own thoughts and own ways that they reason. And God, as a parent, Father, we need you, Lord, to love each one as an individual, but guide them together as a family. And so, Father, for uh, the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents of this family, Lord, and the responsibilities that they have, for the responsibilities of all these in the church, Lord, the, the Sunday school teachers, God, they're children's leader, their youth director, Father, that that you would just help us all to realize, God, that we have a part in being in all, all in our families, God. It does take sometimes a village, Lord, to, to raise a child, but God, it's in the love and the nurture and the safety, God, that we bound together. And so, Father, that you all are all as parents here today, Lord, that we we begin to see, Father, even those of us who may have children that are already grown and maybe in, even in high school. And, and Father, we think that it's we, we've lost that opportunity in time. But God, help us to realize that every day is a teaching opportunity. Continue to draw us to you, God. Those of us who don't have children at home, God, now we're raising grandkids. And Father, we just, we pray again for a special anointing because we forgot God, what a two-year-old is like. And Lord, we just, we need the wisdom to love and to nurture, but yet to discipline and love as well. And Father, that's just how you do us in every season of our lives. So Father, today, God, we just thank you for the blessing of, of children and parents and family and friends. And God, we just commit ourselves to your hands, God, because we do trust you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. Amen, amen. Yeah. Anybody else like to pray over your children? Dedicate, commit to raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. All right. All right, thank you guys so much. Thank you.
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup in the new covenant is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion and we come up here and we take the cup and the bread, we're following the example that Jesus gave the disciples on the night before he was betrayed. He took the bread, he took the, the wine, and he used them symbolically to show the disciples what he was about to do on the cross. As we follow his example, we also take the cup and we take the bread, and we use it symbolically not to look at what he's going to do on the cross because he's already done it. We use it to look back at what he's already accomplished on the cross. Theologians like to use a phrase called the completed work of Christ or the finished work of Christ because when Jesus hung on the cross, uh, he said, it is finished. And we talk about the finished work of Jesus. It means that what Jesus did was complete. It needs nothing added to it. It's complete and finished. It also means that anybody who ever comes to God for all of history, for all time, anybody coming to God comes through the cross of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did. He opened the way to God. And there's nothing that we can add to what he did because it, it's complete. It's enough. It's filled to the brim. You know, anybody who has small kids, you know, when you have something to do, like, you know, work on the car or do something in the garage or do something around the house or cook some supper or whatever, you know that sometimes it can actually slow you down to have your special helper working with you. You know what I mean? You know it can actually take longer with extra help than if you just do it, right? But don't you love to see your kids try, man? Don't you love to see your grandkids try to do things that they couldn't do before? I was thinking about this, and I was remembering when we started remodeling the basement last year. Um, one night, I brought my whole family just to get the thing started. I was going to work them all, man. So I gave uh, Abigail and Benjamin a couple crowbars and a hammer. I told them to pull the baseboard off, you know? <laughs> they got one little piece off. <laughs> But, man, it was great seeing them try, man, holding real tools, you know, and they were excited about it. And then they got bored and wanted to go outside and play. But, uh, but you know, you get excited about uh, seeing them learn how to do new things. I think God must look at us, you know, trying to get everything right and, and trying to fix things and make things and be an adult. And I think he must be, I think he must be pleased with our efforts, you know. But there's sometimes I think he looks at us and he says, you know, well, don't worry about it. I've got this one. You can't do it. So let me help you with it. Let me doing. I've already done everything you need to do. Let me take care of you. And that's what the Bible calls entering into his rest. That's why being saved, being born again, is what the Bible calls entering into the rest of the Lord. Why? Because I quit trying to do it myself. I quit trying to do my work, and I come into his rest. I can rest in what he's already done. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, as most of you know, out in Nebraska, man. be cold out there, and... And we get a lot of snow. So what happens when it's late at night and you're driving back cross country from Lincoln, Nebraska, all the way up to the northeast corner of Nebraska, and it starts snowing, man. 
and you thought you could beat the storm, the storm, but you couldn't. And it's like four or five o'clock in the morning and the snow's starting to blow and drift across the road and you're hitting these drifts and you got all five of you in the family in the front seat of a pickup truck and you're hitting these drifts and all of a sudden you hit one that you just can't get through and you're stuck and you're trying to get out and as you're trying to get out, you slide off the road, you know? And now you're there and you're running your tires. <laughs> what happens when you run your tires? You melt the snow. And then when it's like 20 degrees outside, it refreezes and turns to ice, right? So now you are stuck, but now you're really stuck. You know what I mean? You can't get out. You're stuck, right? Four o'clock in the morning, it's freezing. You can't stay in the truck. It's, it's, it's dangerous. So what do you do? You walk back to that farmhouse that you just passed, and you knock on the door, and you look for help. And they take you in. It's a true story, by the way. <laughs> they take you in. They feed you breakfast. And then as soon as first light comes, they take a tractor over there and they hook it up and they pull you out with the tractor. What do you say? You say, thank you. <laughs> That's what you say. Thank you. I was stuck. I wasn't going anywhere. I couldn't get this thing. I had to wait till, we'd have to wait till spring, I guess. Maybe we'd have a shot at it. But no, you say, thank you. I was stuck. I was not moving. I couldn't go anywhere, but you helped me. And so what do we say to God when we're stuck in our sins, we're stuck in the world, we're stuck in the old life, and he comes and rescues us and pulls us out? What do we say? We say, thank you. Thank you. This is how I thank the Lord for loving me, for saving me, for going after me. I was stuck, Lord, and you pulled me out, and I thank you. And so communion is a looking back at what Jesus did for us through his death on the cross. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so it's a look back at what he did on the cross, but it's also an anticipation, a looking forward to his second coming, to his returning, to what he's going to do. The Bible says that the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and he's given full assurance of this by raising him from the dead. So we're looking back at what Jesus did, and we're looking forward to something. But let me ask you this. What are we supposed to be doing in this in-between time? Just looking back and looking forward? What are we supposed to be doing? And I want to give you this idea. Just take a minute and, and to share this with you. Then we're going to have communion together. I want to talk to you about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy, and he's saying, This message that I gave you, this word of the cross, the gospel, you take it and you entrust it to other people who will be able to teach others also. That's how it works, isn't it? It's about a message. It's about the gospel. The Bible talks about the, it's called the word. It's called the gospel. It's called the message. And that's the thing that's important. You know, I want you to think about this for a minute. The world does not punish the church for our good deeds. 
The world is not against us because we do good deeds. Look, you can go and feed homeless people all day long and they will commend you for it. They will say, that's great. That's what the church is supposed to be doing, right? You can go and teach job skills to the homeless. You can you know, help with addiction, addiction recovery. You can tutor kids. You can go beautify parks and public spaces. You can do all these social things and nobody gets mad at you for that. But as soon as you say, you preach that message, that word of the cross, that Jesus is the only way, that he is the king of the world, that he won it by contest because he defeated the devil, he defeated sin, and you need to give your life to him, now they hate you for it. That's what they oppose, the message. Now, those other things I said, those are the responsibility, historically and even currently, those are our responsibility to look after people's needs. I'm all for it. But before we are called to look after needs, we're called to carry this message of the cross. The Bible talks about the offense of the cross. The world's not going to like it. They didn't like Jesus. Not everybody's going to like it, but those who come are going to fall in love with him and they're going to be saved. So if you preach the message, don't be surprised. (laughs) Don't be surprised that you're going to be opposed because the gospel, why? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that's the thing the devil does not want to happen to people. So the other things are good. But in light of this, we need to have the mindset of a soldier. I know kids know what a soldier is. You guys know what a soldier is? Yeah, I thought you would know what a soldier is. It says in verse 3 that we are to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about us being soldiers for God. How many of you want to be a soldier for God? I want to be a soldier for God too. It says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, we are living in a war zone. We just are. When we come to the the realization that we're living in a time of conflict between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God that has invaded this world and the kingdom of darkness that's trying to hold on, it makes everything make a lot more sense. It really does. Why is there evil in the world? Well, because the kingdom of darkness is still at work in the world. We don't see everything subjected to God yet. He didn't come down and rule with that iron scepter of righteousness yet. He's allowing people the opportunity to choose him and come into the kingdom. But Jesus did defeat Satan on the cross. So what's, what's, what's going on right now? It's come down to the ground game. It always, always comes down to a ground game, doesn't it? You know, it's time to go door to door and clean up the mess. That's what, that's what we're doing, literally, going one person at a time. We're literally pulling people out of the wreckage and bringing them into the kingdom. We're rescuing people. That's what's going on now. When you understand that, you know, it's, you know why everything's not pretty. It, it, the devil's defeated, but he tries to do what he can get away with, right? He has no authority. His authority's broken, but he tries to hang on wherever he can. A soldier, he knows his objective, he knows his weapons, he knows his armor. And we're supposed to be good soldiers for Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about an athlete. Do you guys know what an athlete is? Any kid knows what an athlete is? Somebody who does sports, right? An athlete, maybe a a ball player or a runner or a boxer or something like that. Yeah, an athlete. What does an athlete do? An athlete... He says, uh, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You know, an athlete goes into special training, right? Everything in their life becomes, their sport in, in impacts everything they do. Athletes have to get up at a certain time, train a certain way. They have to eat a certain diet. They have to exercise. Everything they do is about their pursuit. 
So we need to build in our lives that kind of discipline as well. You know, this book right here, this book and doing this book needs to be the most important thing in our life. Just like that next event for the athlete. We need to build that kind of discipline into our lives. And then it says in verse 6, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You guys know what a farmer is? Anybody know what a farmer is? Yes? You know, good. All right, I'm glad. Any adults know what a farmer is? Okay. All right, good. You know, the cool thing about a farmer is every farmer is a partner with God. Every farmer has to, you don't make the seed grow. The seed grows because you put it in, you take care of it, but the seed grows by its own power, right? And when you have this message, the word of God, it's a seed and you are, you are a sower scattering the seed and you have a responsibility, you know, to take care of it, to nurture it, to whatever you need to do, but you don't make the seed grow. The seed grows of its own power and we're partners with God. God is a farmer. James 5, 7 and 8, Carolyn, I found one book. I've not read in James for a long time. You need it. Um, but James chapter 5, it says in verse 7, be patient. Carolyn, be patient. <laughs> be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. God's waiting for people to get saved. That's the precious fruit of the earth. And as long as he waits, more people can be saved. And so we need to help. We need to help spread the word, plant the seeds, love people, share about Jesus. We need to have the mindset of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Can I get the band to go ahead and come up, if you would? And, and as you guys come up, um, go ahead and t- take, some, take the elements so you have them with you. I'm going to rearrange some things here. As we get ready to take communion today, we believe and we practice what what we call open communion, which means if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to partake and participate in the communion. If you've not professed Jesus Christ, you know, I think I've, I've thought this through a lot. I think communion is a good, a good opportunity to confess him, to come as you partake of the bread and partake of the, the juice. It's the opportunity to thank him and acknowledge what he's done and receive what he's done for you. And so we're going to uh, 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 take communion here in just a moment. I also want to say to parents, if you have kids, it's up to you if you think your children understand enough to participate. Um, We've taught our children about it at a young age, so I'm very happy for my kids to come and participate. If you feel otherwise, please don't feel bad if they don't come. But uh, as the band begins this next song, um, what I would like to do is uh, just let you come up by family one at a time and uh, take the elements, return to your seat, and then we'll have communion all together, okay?